fellow parents, this is Michelle bringing you hope today. I hope your day is going well. Last night, I went to a support meeting um, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. It's about an hour from my home. And at this meeting was a group of moms who decided they were going to come together and um, just start a support group. So they were on TV, um, and the owner of the, well, I shouldn't say the owner, but the woman who started the support group um, had a friend say to her one day, well, you don't look like the mother of an addict. And she was like, "Uh, what does the mom of an addict look like, right? Well, she looks like me, and she looks like any of you moms listening. She could look like... um, somebody in the grocery store or somebody at church she just looks like us right so this woman decided she was going to start a group called the mom of an addict because she wanted a place a safe place where others could come and gather and 65 women showed up no joke it was the first night um and It was intense. I am an empath, so being in the room with all those other women who shared their story stories willingly, um, it was it was really liberating for a lot of people because they were like, "Oh my goodness, I'm not alone," and this is what happened to me, and this is what happened to me, and there were many um, women who just cried the entire time they were there. They couldn't even speak. Um, a few women uh, spoke about their deceased loved one from an overdose. Um, and we cried together. And sometimes we laughed about things that most people probably wouldn't think are funny. But I think um, when you've been living with addiction for as long as we all have, you tend to find humor in the strangest places. But um, So it got me thinking about resilience. And... Today I want to talk to you about resilience and how do we um, stay resilient in the face of the storm. Um, And to start with, I want to share a prayer. I have this book of daily meditations for (laughs) codependents. And I think what, what was a pretty common thread in the room last night was, I think mom, the word mom and codependent were synonymous because as moms, we've always been taught to nurture um, if we have a healthy bond with our loved one. Oftentimes we're helping in ways that we shouldn't. And so we're a little codependent. There was one mom in the room who talked about actually climbing out of a window for her Um, addicted loved one to do something for him another one who said she actually got drugs out of the trunk of his car for him so he wouldn't get caught Um, and you know looking back she was like oh my goodness what am I doing now I am a criminal because these drugs are on my person right so um, it was eye-opening because we've all been codependent we've all helped in unhealthy ways um, if it were easy, you know, we, we wouldn't be here. But um, so this this little prayer is about letting go of guilt. 
Feeling good about ourselves is a choice. So is feeling guilty. When guilt is legitimate, it acts as a warning light, signaling that we're off course. Then its purpose is finished. Wallowing, wallowing in guilt allows us others to control us. It makes us feel not good enough. It prevents us from setting boundaries and taking other healthy action to care for ourselves. We may have learned to habitually feel guilty as an instinctive reaction to life. Now we know that we don't have to feel guilty. Even if we've never, even if we've done something that violates a value, extended guilt does not solve the problem. It prolongs the problem. So make an amend, change a behavior, then let go of the guilt. Today, God, help those who are listening to me right now become entirely ready to let go of their guilt. Take that guilt away from them and replace it with self-love. That's my prayer for you. Um, and I got that from the book, The Language of Letting Go by Melody Beatty. So today I want to talk about self-care and letting go of that guilt and building resilience in our lives because we can't control what our loved ones do and what choices they make but we can change how we react to their use and so um, I want to ask you this question of course we all know the answer but there's no such thing as a perfect mom or a perfect dad is there because I don't know one I don't know one, do you? I doubt it, because they don't exist. None of us are perfect, right? So, you know, sometimes we think, well, maybe if I hadn't done this or if I hadn't done that, my child wouldn't be an addict. Um, you know, we kind of blame ourselves. But if we if we continue with that logic, then um, since every mom is not perfect, then every child should be an addict, right? And that's not the case. So I want you to think about that logic, right? There's no such thing as a perfect mom. So we're all imperfect. So therefore, you know, if if our imperfection has made or has created our child to become an addict, then all children should be addicted addicts in their lives. And that's not true. And I'm sure you've met people who were I, I know personally a young woman whose mother lost custody of all the kids, her father committed suicide when she was three, her mother ended up in jail, and this woman went on to um, put herself through college, through her master's degree, is happily married, bought her own house, highly functioning, works for a Fortune 500 company. Um, she didn't, she didn't, uh, become addicted to anything right I think the key is resilience and so as moms we are sometimes addicted to helping even though we might not admit it we need to work on our own recovery and so I want to talk about um, using some tools that might help you recover um, in your in your journey to not not um, help in unhealthy ways so 
what happens though, and and I get this, what you know, saying we're not going to feel guilty, saying we're not going to be responsible and we're going to be strong and all that is one thing. But sometimes our mind, if it's if you're like mine, you keep playing a movie over and over again in your head, like. When our son was in jail, you know, you ruminate. Your son, you know, you just keep having these movies play. Like, what could I have done different? What should I do next? Um, and and it kind of hijacks our thoughts, and we can't even take control of that. So I want to encourage you to do something different. And I talked about this the other day, and I get it. Not everybody likes to write, but um, if you Grab a piece of paper every day or a journal, a, a notebook, and just write continuously for 20 minutes without stopping about what it is that day that's worrying you or what is it that keeps ruminating in your mind. Um, don't worry that anybody's going to read it because nobody's going to read this. This is for your own benefit. You can date it, but get angry. Express how you feel. Share whatever it is on the page. And don't worry about spelling or punctuation because who gives a rip, right? Nobody's nobody's going to look at that. Um, explore your deepest thoughts. Um, explore the darkest side of that experience, um, the one that's haunting you. So a couple things you're going to find by writing. You'll gain new insights into your feelings. And once those feelings are on paper, I want you to tell yourself you're done with worrying about them. You put them on the page and it's kind of like vomiting them out on the page and then you're not going to think about this. Um, a counselor gave me this tool for our granddaughters um, who worry a lot or, or who are anxious. Once you get rid of that thought on the paper, I want you to tell yourself you're not going to think about it or worry about it until a specific day of the week and a specific time. So let's just for for the sake of my exercise here in teaching you this, um, let's just say it's Fridays at four o'clock. So every day you write down, you know, all the things that are bothering you and you tell yourself, I'm not going to think about them again until Friday at four, four o'clock. And, um, and don't look back. So do that. Um, and what you will find, I'm hoping, is that by putting off that emotion, by, by taking that motion, emotion, if you will, that's getting hijacked, um, that's hijacking you from your life, and putting it off, and putting that anxiety off, you don't give it energy. It doesn't suck the energy out of you. Now, I am not saying that you can just keep burying all your anxiety and worry because that is really not something you want to do either. We're not putting this off indefinitely. We're going to revisit this once a week. But by prolonging the time, you're going to um, save your energy for something more positive. And then when you go back on that week and you revisit all those things you were worried about, what do you think is going to happen? Well, when I gave my granddaughter, okay, it's Friday at 4 o'clock, 
remember all those things you were worried about and I told you to put them off till Friday and we'd sit down then and talk about them? What happens? Do you think she remembered all those things that were bothering her earlier in the week? No, she forgot because she wasn't giving them energy. She learned to cope with those. Now, when you go and you read what all those things were that you were worried about, my hope is that you will see that by not giving them energy, they work themselves out or you're going to learn something. I don't know what that something is, but let's just, um, let's just take a story. Like for an example, let's say, um, your addicted loved one called you for money and this time you say no. I love you. I love you enough to say no. This is hard for me, but I love you enough to do the hard work and I'm going to say no. And your child is like, for the first time, appalled, right? Maybe he calls you a name, he swears, he hangs up on you. Um, and that night or that day afterwards, um, it continually ruminates in your mind. And then you start like thinking, rationalizing, well, oh my goodness, what, what is it going to hurt, right? I could have just given him. Now you have pictures of him in the gutter, um, in jail, ODing, um, emaciated, you know, hungry. Um, but you write about it and you, and you say, I'm going to worry about it later, Friday at four o'clock. And I don't know if this is going to work for you. I don't know that. I can't promise that. It's a tool. Um, but you won't know unless you try. So then Friday, after you accumulate all these things, when you go back and you look, what what's happened between when you didn't give him money and when you did? Have you not heard from him? Can you evaluate that, reflect upon that? Has anything, has have your actions changed anything? Can you con- have they controlled his choices at all? Have they made him maybe experience a little more pain? And isn't that what we want to do? Motivate him to do something so that the pain is worse than the pleasure? I don't know. I can't answer that. So, In a 2014 optimism intervention study, going through this practice daily for three weeks helped participants become more engaged with life afterward. It decreased their pessimistic beliefs over time, and it was particularly helpful for staunch pessimists who in the end became more depressed. So, when you look back on that um, on Fridays and you think, okay, so what are the positive things that happened as a result of the week of those negative things? What can you turn around? Where's the silver lining in that? Um, Going back over and looking at your journal is going to help you measure your progress. Because if you don't write it down, you don't really see it. You're not really focusing on developing new habits. You're focusing on 
all the negativity. So we can go a little bit further in this exercise. I'm going to push you. So at the end of the week or at the end of each day or at some point when you're writing, um, look for the silver lining in there. So how do you find it, okay? Well, at the end of that week on Friday, if you want to do that, whenever or once a week, I don't know if you want to do this every day, you could, but list five things that make you feel like something went well in that day or week. These things can be as general as like, hey, I went to the grocery store and there wasn't a line. I got to be the first in line, but you're noticing that, right? Or I don't know about you, but favorite time of day is the morning when I can have my cup of coffee all by myself and nobody is talking to me. My grandkids are still sleeping. My husband is not bothering me. The dogs don't have to go out and I can sip that cup of coffee, maybe look at the sunrise, um, read my devotional and be all alone. Like, and when, when that happens, I like to pay attention to it because I, I, it's like, yes, it's a little thing, but it's one of those silver linings of my day. And if we don't focus on those, we'll get caught up in the negativity of all the negative things sucking us out of, you know, the goodness, right? So we're shifting our focus um, into a more positive area. And the second thing to identifying that silver lining is identify those negative things and switch them to a more positive outcome. Um, So for instance, like if you didn't give your child money when he asked and he had to go to work that day, so he had to push himself through the pain to to go to work to to get money for whatever it was. He had to he had to work toward it. So that might be a positive outcome um, out of something that you did or you thought was negative. Um, or maybe like for me, raising our grandkids is really hard, and I say no, Michelle. Don't think about the negative. Think about the positive. This is a blip in your life. This is a moment in time. And be hopeful that it's not forever. But enjoy. Find joy in being able to be a part of their lives. And pour wisdom and knowledge and lecture them to death. (laughs) Yeah, they hate that, but I love it because it gets to them. But no, I mean, that's a little sick, but um, it's just my warped sense of humor, maybe. But find something that was that you thought was a negative, and how can you look at that um, and realize that maybe there's a positive that's going to come out of that negative? So that's all I'm going to give you today. I, I don't want to, this, this is a whole new thing, but if you want to build resilience, you can't just say, I'm going to be a badass mom today. Because you got to have a plan. You have to be intentional. And you have to be consistent. So I'm here to inspire you to do that. Um, do that maybe four days a week. 
maybe do it every other day, um, but make a commitment. Make a commitment. How many days are you going to journal? And what day a week are you going to set aside with a day and time that you're going to evaluate what you wrote and what anxieties and worries will you tell yourself? Don't think about that today. Think about that Friday at four o'clock when you go over your journal. Put that aside. Don't put it over. Don't put it out of your mind forever. That's not not healthy. You want to come back to it. You want to revisit it. But but tell yourself you're only going to feel that worry one day a week or one time a week. Um, and how will you find the silver lining? Write about those silver linings, even if you can only fit in one a day. Look for them. Start looking for them. Try to change a bad habit into a positive habit, a new habit. Um, because habits, habits are really hard, and we want our addicted loved ones to quit their habit of using, don't we? Right? So, isn't it fair to look at ourselves and say, "Hey, you know, I'm going to join. I'm going to join in the pain of change, and I'm going to try to change myself and change my bad habits um, into positive ones." So. Again, I'm praying for you today that you can let go of any of the guilt that is stopping you from um, moving into the change, into your own recovery. Your addictive loved one's problem is not your fault. And I want to empower you to um, make some healthy changes in your life. God bless.